Hola, this is Lorena Junco Margain, and I'm so excited for this journey. We decided to launch this podcast to share my story with the hope that you could connect the dots of your life and truly be on your way. Today on On My Way, part two of Lorena's interview with surgical oncologist, Dr. Perrier. Lorena picks her brain about the painstaking and surprisingly athletic craft of surgery and the science behind the adrenal glands, or as you'll hear Dr. Perrier call them, God's glands. Later, the pair is joined by endocrine surgeon in training, Uriel Clemente, who recounts his long and winding road to where he is today and his motivation to become a truly great surgeon. Now to today's episode. So before we started recording, we had a fascinating conversation about how talent agents can spot a good soccer player. And I would like going back to that analogy, if you could give us context on how is it that you can spot good eye coordination, hand coordination to spot a good future surgeon. I had never seen life that way, and I will forever now see eye-hand coordination in that way. I had only seen it as art. And now, thank you for making me see being a doctor as art. You're truly a sculptor. You're truly working with the most sacred, which is life. And um, if you could help me and our listeners do that analogy on how in many aspects in life we have figured out the way to spot talent and work on it and take care of it and how in the medical field we we're lacking that restorative process that putting energy maybe even into elementary school the uh valuing anatomy it's like back to basics when i heard i had an adrenal tumor i thought it was in my brain and now i laugh about it but it's actually a pretty red flag that a highly educated person didn't know where an adrenal was. So with this context that I gave you, how is it that we can help manage talent your way? I love that. And I just, it's its one of those bursts of energy that I'm, um, I, I'm so enthusiastic about. And I know, for instance, I have a colleague who, um, David Farley, who was the program director of the surgery department at Mayo for years and has a, a big, a big grant on, um, on, on surgery camp, right, of taking middle schoolers and taking high schoolers and taking simple things like toilet paper rolls um, and giving them um, some suture and um, and seeing who can, you know, put in the suture, who can put it in equally, who can tie knots, who can, you know, take rubber bands and put them around hooks um, with a laparoscope, almost what our all of our children are doing with hand-eye. But surgery in particular, Lorena, is total hand-eye coordination. And those skills are innate. You, you know, I mean, when we see a good surgeon, when technically when we see a fellow in the operating room or, or a resident or, or, or someone who just has it, you just you know it when you see it, uh, the way they touch tissues, the way and it is. It's, it's artwork. It's the way you the, the way your your hands can mobilize, where you put pressure, where you know where to dissect. You, you see the plane 
those um, tangibles, if we picked them up earlier, we we were you're familiar in the soccer world, as we were saying. We we look at kids in middle school, and we know who's got speed and who's got agility, and we know who's just who who's got uh, can turn on a dime and who's got power. If we did that with um, hand eye coordination, and we identified and then promoted and groomed and and gave them access to maybe um, bigger camps or to the biomed undergrad engineering programs that are, you know, there are a few in the country now that are um, biomed engineering combined with medical school or medical schools that are totally intertwined with becoming surgeons, which again is the, is the field of hand-eye. Um, but if we put and invested in identifying that talent and then, um, and then grooming it, and promoting it and having those extrinsic definers of acknowledgement and excellence and pats on the back and promoting them and 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 having them um, you know do summer internships and to see it to be it and promote it. So we'd have to start with knowing who had the cognitive ability and the interest, who had the technical minds of being interested in science, and then honing in on those skills. We would be able, I think, with the entrustable activity act. act for instance, with the American Board of Surgery, we're looking at ways that we progress people along to be safe to the public by looking at particular activities that they do rather than looking at the encompassment of going through a five-year program, for instance, where you might get into doing some bowel anastomosis, you might get some trauma, you might learn how to take care of a patient with cancer, but it kind of is dependent on your environment and where where you're planted versus let's give people specific modules. But that to me is the answer for, um, for not having people train for too long and being burned out, Mm -hmm. the training that's so long that we lose the empathy and the joy along the way. We build them up. We pat them on the back along the way as they succeed with the tangibles. So um, I think I think if we invest in those centers and those ideas and we promote them, um, I think our our sons and our daughters um, are going to be, you know, just by the fact that this group of upcoming medical school applicants and this next generation, number one, they're so hand-eye, technically savvy to begin with, much more so than we were. Number two, they're so bright. They're exposed to so much. There's so much available to them. Um, I look back at the admissions director at UT in Houston is a friend and told me there were 4,000 applications this year that were all you know, superb for 180 spots. So it's more than just the paperwork, right? How can we find out who really... Recently, I, I worked with a gal in Houston who is a trainer for baseball players of, um, of teaching them reaction times um, and teaching them where their best eye distance is to look at that ball when it's coming on the bat. And I just got so dang excited about why are we not doing this for surgeons? I think you're totally right. For example, in the soccer facilities in the academy, they have vests on. We have charts on their heart, their oxygenation, uh, their performance, the sprints, the seconds, the milliseconds, the healing, the cold, the hot, the massage, the therapy. And you're talking about kids that are 14, 15, 16-year-old, but we have so much data and information because we can project their future and we know if we should invest like more time on them or maybe send them to 
wherever they would fit best. How is it that we could make an academy where we could monitor the potential for future kids and just give them a fertile soil for them to thrive? I think that would be fascinating. Lorena, there is, and and I remind you because you so know this more than more than most. There is nothing more valuable in this world than health. All of the family, all of the the riches, it doesn't, you know, all those things it, without health, you cannot, it, it all means nothing. Your health care provider, your health and your the health of your surgeon doesn't have to currently meet those qualifications. Think about that concept. What you're doing at the Academy for Soccer Players and understanding who um, can maintain their cool in the presence of complexity, um, who can um, think clearly in the process of an adverse event, who can uh, intuitively in the setting of everything being discolored by maybe um, if someone's colorblind. Do you know that surgeons are never tested for being colorblind? And the shades of the difference between a vein and an artery if you can't see those differences in shades, you can't dissect that plane. But wow. that's not part of you're doing more for soccer players who will be playing in a stadium this afternoon or this evening for our, our cultural entertainment. Mm -hmm. Then we're putting into the surgeon that will be operating on you or will be operating on us in 20 or 30 years or our children. You know, we need to change that dynamic of the investment. I, I, I totally agree with you and definitely think we need to put some thought to our listeners. If you get inspiration on any ideas, we're all open to making this field a better place. And health is definitely our priority. I learned it the hard way. Being um, financially blessed, I did become a beggar with a bag full of money. There's nothing than, that can give you health back. And especially with adrenals, we haven't gotten to the point that there's a transplant. So uh, for me, it was a big eye-opener. I learned the hard way, but never will I underestimate the importance of sleep, the importance of nutrition, the importance of anatomy, the importance of speaking up and of having a very hard Muscles with emotions, like emotions are, are a muscle. You build it. You don't start from zero. And we need to start teaching our kids that without the vessel of our body, we cannot do anything. So we might have big dreams and visions, but nothing will be accomplished without seeing the body. So in whichever way we can help, please reach out and give us ideas. I know that many out there have lots of talents some in technology, some in the artist's world, but we can all come with creative ways to making the kids more attuned and hungry to learn about the human anatomy. Totally. The time is now to think outside the box. Um, you know, greatness has no boundaries. And as we talk about this next generation of greatness, 
of putting together partnerships that historically we we haven't put together. Um, uh, you know, the the art of medicine, that the, the techn- you know, the I have a a, a friend at, at Stanford in the surgical realm that's working on um, helmets and headpieces that look at blood flow and look at cognition and look at stress for surgeons doing surgery, right? So we can learn um, what parameters are, are maybe there are certain people that need to be in certain specialties, need to avoid avoid certain stress situations. Lorraine, I'll laugh and tell you the story. My <laughs> my mentor, who was a, a world-class, the world-class adrenal surgeon, and I have a, the most spectacular picture of him. When he was performing an adrenal operation in the 80s and in the until the early 90s all uh, uh, adrenal operations were big open incisions there was no laparoscopy and there was no next day discharge and and they were big incisions and with a lot of anatomy exposure because the adrenal glands are tucked away in what we call the retroperitoneum behind some of the other important organs but while he did that operation there is a picture of the anesthesia team had put a catheter in him, in his internal jugular vein, which traced into his heart, which is a catheter that we use to test people's heart function when they're ill. Um, and when we perform adrenal operations and there's a lot of dynamic change, we always put in monitors. And so they monitored him to watch his own adrenal spikes And his own blood pressure changes as he operated on the adrenal to watch those dynamics and to see his own blood pressure go up 190, you know, systolic as he, you know, coming across the the vena cava. And it's a spectacular, for those of us in the field, it's one of those pictures that you never forget. Um, I have it and and I know, you know, my mentor and I know actually um, Uriel's mentor from Mexico was also a part of that and taking that picture. And again, just the importance of, you know, um, without your health, you're nothing. Any of us, we're nothing. Our field and our responsibility of giving people back their health and of restoring their health is just so awesome. So Dr. Perrier, a lot of us are not very well versed in anatomy. And I think major organs, we all know their functions. And when I say no, we slightly know. But I think glands um, have a very important role in our bodies and adrenal glands specifically are just so important that I cannot believe there's not so much awareness about it. So could you guide us first? What are the adrenal glands, the basics, and then how is it that you would give us a 101 on it and then the good practices and the not so good and then the symptoms of something not being okay? I love you speaking to my heart, girlfriend, when we talk about glands and and adrenal glands because um, we call those God's glands. You don't mess with them. They control everything. They're unseen. They're back in the back. You, you see me beaming and lighting up. There's just nothing more um, happy to me than to see them and touch them and understand their phys- physiology. And and this is the story on the adrenal. The adrenal is a little gland that has the consistency. Um, it looks like a little boiled egg. And if you imagined a little boiled guinea egg and, a, and um, an adrenal gland is about the size of a small prune. So imagine a small prune that's like a boiled egg. It has an outside white and an inside yellow, and they live 
in the back on top of the kidneys, and they live back behind um, the small bowel, the stomach, the spleen, the liver, the aorta, the vena cava. They're way in the back. And if you imagine this beautiful Casa Lotus, and you imagine all the wonderful things that are about life here. We have the roof, we have the walls, we have the we have the flooring, we have the lighting, we have the kitchen where the meals happen, we have the yard where the activity happens, we have the beds and the bedrooms where the sleep happens, we have the Wi-Fi where our connections are. All of those are important, but the most important part of this entire house is the part that no one sees or pays enough attention to when things are going well. And it's the closet somewhere where we have um, the air conditioner um, running, where we have the um, on-off for the electricity. It's where the Wi-Fi box is. Um, It's where all of the management of the home is. And when things are going well, you don't need to go there and you don't worry about it. But when things aren't well, when there's a storm and there's an electricity problem, knowing where that box is and how to understand it and understand what wire goes to what and what it means when the light is off or when the light is blinking um, is the role of the adrenal gland. That's what they serve in the body. So the brain, the heart, the lungs, they're all critical, but the adrenal controls the hormones that manage all of that. And the management, you were right earlier in the podcast when you acknowledged that you thought originally the adrenal glands were in the brain. You weren't far off because at the base of the brain is a little gland that's about the size of a pecan called the pituitary gland. And it sends messages um, and has feedback mechanism with the adrenal glands. So the body is so miraculous. And when we talked earlier about the science and the spirituality, you you just cannot appreciate the beautiful balance of how perfectly the body and everything about it was made that you realize it has to be something greater than us and greater than self that created this. But the adrenal glands work by feedback mechanisms, and they send messages um, through producing hormone, which then enters into the bloodstream and then gives the message for what the kidneys should do, what the heart should do, what the brain should do. And then they take that messaging from what's happening in those other organs that then comes back to them for feedback and they process it and they say, okay, you're doing your job right, so you slow up over here. Or you need to work faster, and the heart needs to work faster while we shut down the colon. But they are the, the the they coach and they manage everything from the back of the room. So the adrenal glands are vital to life. Um, God did a great thing when he made us. He gave us two. So you could encounter an adrenal surgeon and they could remove one <laughs> and you could still do fine and live fine with the other one because it is enough to suffice. But if another adrenal surgeon comes along the way and takes out the whole other one, you're in trouble because then you don't have that feedback mechanism. And then you're committed to lifelong medication multiple times a day and multiple labs to get that feedback and to get it just right. So that's the skinny on the anatomy, where they live, what size they are. They're the most beautiful golden yellow you have ever seen. And we need to 
get in touch with crayon. When we had those Crayola boxes with yes. all of those colors, it's the most gorgeous, yellow, bright, like goldenrod yeah. color of wow. the adrenal tissue. And those layers each have a purpose of what hormone they make. So the outer white, like in the boiled egg analogy, um, the white area is what con makes hormones that control our blood level um, balance, um, our hormones of things like sodium and potassium that run between all the nerves. All of our nervous system sends one message to the other, and, and it all is based on sodium and potassium and clearing that through the kidney and processing that. That hormone is made in the, in the white part of the, of the boiled egg. And then the hormone that controls um, our differentiation of sex, of testosterone and, and, and uh, production, is mostly in that, um, that white part of the egg. And then the yellow part of the egg, if, again, using that analogy for the adrenal, is that hormone that gives us that fight or flight, that anxiety, that, oh my goodness, um, I need to jump from the second floor building because the building's on fire. Oh my goodness, my child is is that reaction when we put our hand out as a mother because we're slamming on the brake and we know yeah. that, you know, that movement forward, it's that intuition. And so those are, um, those are our important hormones of life. So when a tumor develops in one of those glands and one of the adrenal glands it's usually it starts in one of those cells that has one of those specific purposes and so we can differentiate that by first of all we have to be curious enough to listen to the patient to understand the symptoms because the patient is never going to walk in and say i have an adrenal tumor um, and they're never going to walk in and say i my tumor is making too much catecholamine Mm -hmm. um, and they're never going to walk in, you know, and 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 make that diagnosis. It requires um, listening. It requires applying that knowledge to the physiology. It, it requires obtaining labs and looking at the interpretation of the labs. It's not just the labs themselves because medications, times of day, circadian rhythm, hormones can all affect. Um, in cyclical areas, but it's understanding what's appropriate and what's um, inappropriate for feedback mechanisms that make those diagnoses. I remember one of the symptoms I have is a darkening of my eyelids and the fingertips and some um, creases in my neck, which I just thought I was, you know, that was the way I was aging. And the first time I arrived with uh, Dr. Camilo at MD Anderson with, before he directed me to you, he said, like, just by seeing you, I know there's something off. And for me, that was fascinating that if we had only a little bit of awareness that having your fingertips a little bit, you know, darker or my mom would tell me, do you feel like a fat man is sitting on your chest? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, that's anxiety. That was actually my yes, heart, you know, but... Uh, it, it is, um, sometimes we find excuses like you just stopped nursing and you just had a baby, your daughter is sick. So we second out our symptoms. So when you said uh, sleeping, the circadian cycle, is that related with the cortisol? Yes. And another question is, is the term adrenal fatigue misused? Because suddenly it became so famous 
that I remember, oh, yeah, you have adrenal fatigue. And I'm like, no, 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 I have an adrenal tumor. But they would kind of, um, the more holistic doctors would would go that, that route. And you being scientific, I'm also wondering if you could tell us if, if that's a myth or if it's... Sure. Um, so to answer your first question, yes, cortisol is made in the white part of the boiled egg of the adrenal gland. That's the, your, your, your source of cortisol. And yes, the clinical signs and symptoms for those of us who do this day in and day out, we can, you know, I can spot someone at Schlitterbahn and think, <laughs> oh, she do I, you know, and my husband will like grab me on the arm, don't go do it. We are here with the children. <laughs> do not go tell her that she has a cortisol producing tumor. And I'm like, but she needs to know. <laughs> and so, um, so yes, we can spot it and we can see it when we walk in the room when we, you know, um, and so those are real. And by the way, there's some pretty um, prominent um, presidents of the United States and people in the, you know, in, in the world that have had similar physiologic abnormalities. Now, your, your um, acknowledgement of the anxiety was real, you, was real, but the cause of it was from the tumor. So the tumor was making excess hormone, which was stimulating your heart, your brain, your gut to respond in ways that then manifested appropriately in an anxiousness because your body knew something wasn't right. And that hormone is what happens under normal circumstances when you are needing to be anxious, when intuitively you need to be upset that something isn't right. You smell smoke in this house. It isn't right. You know, you know, I mean, there's something off. And so listening to that, but it's the, it's the, um, it's the acknowledgement of what is appropriate and what isn't from a, an anatomy standpoint, it's really clear cut. Um, when we um, suspect the disease, we do the proper laboratory testing and we understand the results, which are not clean cut. You know, it's not like, okay, this is out of range in this category. So that's, you know, it's not just that it's out of range. It's in relation to this, in relation to what's happening with her potassium. Is she on a supplement? How much, so what did she have in her diet in the last, it's understanding and putting all of that together, which renders the diagnosis. And then once we have the confirmed diagnosis, which is a biochemical one, it is one that we suspect and we confirm, we then look for the tumor. We then look for the anatomy. And really, if there's too much aldosterone in the body, there's only one place that aldosterone comes from. And so we know we need a CT scan of the abdomen with a special dedicated adrenal protocol because the adrenal glands are small glands and we want to cut through the adrenal gland with the right cuts because these tumors are usually small. Um, and we know that. And so we know we don't want to get a, a CT scan that has fat cuts. It's going to miss it. The kind of CT scan that we get for someone who presented with gallbladder colic. Mm -hmm. But Knowing that and knowing what scan to order and knowing how to make that diagnosis just comes with uh, understanding, knowledge, and then anatomy, and then proving it. The term adrenal fatigue that you, you bring up, I do think that there is, that is a diagnosis of exclusion. And when I say that, I mean, it's like the term fibromyalgia mm -hmm. that was really prevalent in, in prior decades. And it means... I'm not quite sure 
what you have, but I'm going to give you this term because I can put a code by it. It's it's a blasé. It's not a, a, a physiologic, anatomic, scientific term. And I do think that um, we are in a culture of misinformation. And I think the the internet and access, I mean, a little bit of knowledge can get you in trouble. And I think that there are concoctions of um, concoctions of uh, porcine thyroid hormone, which is another hormone, um, are uh, testosterone concoctions that can be um, sold as being beneficial. And the problem with those is they're not quantified or regulated. And in consumption, they can um, turn off normal mechanisms, right? So if your body is seeing excess stimulation from an artificial hormone, it might turn off what would be a normal response in your body, and then there will be some alteration. So that's the danger of using a term like adrenal fatigue, and then the bigger danger of actually treating it without really knowing what you're treating. If your adrenal is hyperactive and we are not we can manage it medically or if it has a tumor, the treatment is to take it out. It's there's no medical management for that. It's resection and move on and be done. I mentioned that there there's another gland that should work fine. That other gland may for a time be suppressed, right? If something is overworking, the partner might underwork right? If you're cleaning the kitchen every night and doing the dishes and Eduardo is watching the game, he never really needs to get in the kitchen and do the dishes, right? Because he's used to sitting in here watching the game. But if all of a sudden you're out of town, the dishes are piled up, Eduardo's yeah. <laughs> got to get some, you know, a night or two, he's got to get up off the couch and go in there and see about it, right? He's got to be stimulated to know, hang on a second, we need you to now respond. So there is a period, for instance, after um, a tumor is resected where the other gland is not appropriately responding. We have to boost it along the way, maybe supplement it. But there is a period where you would go through what we would call could be something like adrenal insufficiency. It's not sufficient to manage what the body needs and we need to give some supplement. Yes. For example, every time I have a dentist appointment or a surgery of other type, I've had to have uh, steroids just to supplement the ad the part of the adrenal I have to have that boost. Totally. So you have had one gland removed and a portion of the other gland removed. So you've got a half of a boiled egg. And my question goes, when you dissect something, you can dissect maybe just part of the white and I have more of the yellow. So I could maybe be very strong on my yellow part and totally. not necessarily... Totally. So think about all the different ways we could cut a boiled egg. Wow. We could cut it where it, we, we really could cut it at a diagonal and just get white and leave the white remnant and take everything else off, right? And there are certain, there are certain syndromes, uh, Lorena, and certain familial syndromes and genetic mutations where we intentionally do that because the tumor is going to start in the yellow and we need to, you know, we need to eliminate that recurrence. So we will intentionally study that anatomy, understand where it is and, um, and intentionally slice and resect that so that all the yellow is removed and we're leaving people with enough white because the white is the part that makes the cortisol. 
So that's what you're you're referring to. And in episodes of crisis, if you're sick and you you know the flood is coming and you your your immune system is down and you're stressed, you might need little supplements of cortisol to boost that 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 hormone um, function because your body uh, in, intentionally for those of us even that have two adrenal glands, there are times when they need to kick in. Yes, you know we 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 need that boost. I would think. Um, that after a period of time, we see the tissue hypertrophy, which is one of the beautiful things. We actually see regrowth wow. of tissue. So we can see adrenal glands that we've resected. And if we if we continue to supplement you, then it'll never regrow. It'll just stay like Eduardo sitting on the couch thinking, I never need to go do the kitchen. I can just stay here. But if if we know that we need to sort of train it and say we need you to boost up, we can get it to not only go do the, you know, to to grow, but to hypertrophy to make extra cells, extra hormone so that it can compensate. It's a beautiful. It is beautiful. It's actually very poetic to see how everything is just working together and orchestrated. So you being a surgeon, that is a very high adrenaline job. How do you deal with high stress periods and or the, the rest of the doctors? Is is there such thing as I can only deal with so much stress and then I need to supplement or your body will just give you what you ask? That's such an intuitive, smart question that we probably should ask each other much more often because we we're trained through years of training which is the grueling part of what we go through um and a bit of it is the purpose of us building that muscle um and what we need to do is to just titrate it a bit more because i think we've we've gone to too much of an extreme but in that muscle we build it so that we really don't get stressed um wow. anymore and and actually for some of us um actually high intensity situations for instance i know in myself i get much more calm like the more critical it gets in the operating room i have things for instance in my own operating room i turn all the lights off in the room and only use the lights above the bed the 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 or lights to concentrate exactly what we're operating on so that we can send the message to our brains and everyone else. The rest of this room needs to be subdued because you're you're all there, but you're not important right now. This is where we need to focus. And um, and so it's it's focusing that way. And it's almost like our adrenal glands can learn to do that. And I know in my own, when we're at the point of the operation where there is going to be bleeding and this is resecting, um, the critical juncture. And for instance, adrenal surgery, um, often we, we cite the right side has a really, really small, short vein that's immediately attached to the vena cava, which is the biggest vein in the body. It's where all of your blood return comes. And in that point of the dissection, you know, an angle off um, will land you into, into severe bleeding. And, you know, in that point, my own catecholamine goes, okay, here we are. I acknowledge, I know where we are. This is cognitive and I can just drop it down. But that comes, you know, some of us are built that way and some of it comes with the muscle of training. Having said that, I can tell you that in training, um, 
you know, we're on call at night. We're on for multiple days at a time. We're up early in the morning. You know, the stress of performing repeatedly does bear weight on us. And as a female surgeon, it's not uncommon in our in our specialty that all of our hormones, our circadian rhythm goes off because we lose day-night cycles because we're on call, we're receiving mm-hmm. phone calls, we're in the ER, we're in the ICU. Um, and our entire, because the adrenals and the pituitary, and they all speak to each other, control the whole hormonal milieu. Many of us go through periods of years where we, for instance, are amenorrheic. Wow! Um, and you're in the you're in the you're in the world of it, and you're busy, and it's day night, and your circadian rhythm is off, and you don't know. And it might be a long time before you even realize. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. I'm off. I'm really off. Um, and that's our bodies. And again, the, the fascinating. I mean, it is not uncommon um, for many of us. Um, and and I, I'm speaking, I can tell you, you know, in training for, you know, maybe three years, like, hang on a second. My body is telling me, A, it's under too much stress to bring another child in this world. Wow. I mean, that's 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 godly there, right? Number two, um, I am off my balance. Um, and, you know, intuitively, I mean, I, I needed to go through training. We need to go through it. But everything else just recognizes, okay, if this hormone is off, everything else, you know, in speaking gets a little off. Um, so it's really important. And, um, and even... Knowing that you are off is a good symptom. Totally. Because some lose perspective on totally. what is being off. Totally. And that perspective, that acknowledgement, that perspective, just knowing, um, having it and, and, and knowing what, what the cause is and why we have it. And then taking a moment to pause, you know, what do we need? We Okay, I, I need rest. I mean, I, I, I for one, I, I know um, I have a long, uh, have a lot of energy and I have a long wick. Um, but when I crash, I crash. Boom. I, I mean, I need, I need days. I'm. I seem like a. Um, and, and it's the same thing in our profession of what we do. I seem like an extrovert, and I'm very extroverted. But my energy is totally from within. Me too. I mean, I need that downtime with myself, gathering my thoughts, sitting, you know, with, with alone. I, I, you know, it is total renewal. And so, getting that balance right. And and many of us, we just keep going and going, and we don't acknowledge that. And you know, that's the cause of um, burnout. It's the cause of walking around and losing our joy. It's a cause of, you know, of really losing the ability to relate to people or to have empathy. Um, and, you know, and it's those acknowledgments and those points that say, hang on a second here, I need to take a break. Yeah, and um, it leads also, I imagine, to depression. Depression. Your self-esteem goes down. And you're and, not performing as expected. And it's just a... An error. An error. An error. And then it becomes, um, you become more sharp. You become more more cold, more sharp. Um, those around you feel it. They're less likely to speak up. The intensity is higher. The free flow of bi-directional information is, you know, that's that's very well proven in the medical literature. Um, and and then you're, you're more likely to um, to not um, be a, a in tune to get feedback mm-hmm. um, and to pay attention to detail, to just go through the motions and to make a mistake. Hola. Thank you, my friends. Thank you for having the time to read my book on the way to Casa Lotus. But especially thank you for having the time to listen, to listen with an open heart and open ears. I don't take this for granted. Every second you give me is a gift for me. 
I get better and better and I work the muscle of forgiveness. I work actually all the muscles of gratitude, even of sadness. I'm willing to sit with emotions and project myself through you and my interviewing friend where I can really say, how can I apply this to my life and how can I be a better person? I hope my story is helping you. Is it? I would love listening to your story. Reach out. It's easy. Info at LorenaJuncoMargain.com. Tell me your story. We're a click away. That's part of the silver linings COVID has brought. So stay with me. Tell me what you think about this amazing episode. Un beso. Thank you. I've learned that I just have in my calendar specific counseling days and I'm like, why am I doing this? I don't even have a problem right now. But when the day comes for my appointment, I'm like, I have a list. So it's just very healthy to have someone that is neutral, that you can, it, it can be a friend, a family member, but just to use as a sounding board and that they can tell you, you're off, you seem, your energy is very low or you seem joyful. And I think it's very important that first impression that you give can can be a measure of if you're performing in a balanced way. I love I love that um that gauge and that barometer and I, I will tell you as a person I love that I call that my board of directors. <laughs> and I know we talked earlier about what success looks like and how we define success and how we can um we can either elevate ourselves where we think we're above others, which is a really dangerous, bad place to be without acknowledging our own vulnerability and, and understanding, you know, our um, relations and socialization. But having friends that know us and, you know, whether it's a, a counselor or a spouse, a parent or, you know, a group of friends. And, and for me, it's my board of directors and I have several spheres of board of directors and they're actually logged into my phone. I mean, we have a, you know, the BOD, the board of directors. Um, and, and I, I, I'm such a better person for them. And in, 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 in this, in, in my, my personal world, they are, uh, four other high performing women, um, all from different fields in, you know, not in medicine. We can laugh and tell ridiculous jokes together. Um, we know that, okay, we've sent, you know, um, we're sending, can you believe what just happened to me? You know, my, um, I just walked around the hospital all day long with a, a rip in my skirt, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the funnies, the, I, I'm laughing with you, but we also can get a sense, um, of hang on a second. Um, Hey girlfriend, we're going for coffee this week or, Hey, um, uh, it's time for dinner or we're dropping off, you know, just that little happy, that knowing and that check-in. Um, I, and we wonderful. need self, but we need those check-in points of um, this is yeah. Uh, we, we and it and and then the, and then the other group, you know, of of professional friends that are in this, you know, in the same caveat around the around the country um, and really Canada and elsewhere. But just the check-ins. Um, that, that's a part of like the daily prayer group. And I, my husband made the comment recently that maybe they don't all want to hear from you every morning. <laughs> and I laughed. I was like, well, I, I think that we have a good enough relationship that they would tell me. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's a blind spot. You don't know that. You know, Daniel, our son, who's a college student here and his roommates and friends, they get a text from Dr. Perry every morning. And he's like, no, they they not, you know, and I send them a happy, I send them a prayer, I send them a pop, you know. And Dane's like, those boys, they 
I don't know that they really want that text from you. You know, this has been going on for years. And do you know my validation? One day I didn't send it. And like the next day when I did, you know, the happy face came back. We thought something was wrong. (laughs) And so I laughed. I told my husband, but it's those check-in points, right? Like what's wrong with you? Because in the morning you meditate. You spend, you know, they, you know, you you're quiet. You send out those texts, but like those little check-ins, it's like you with your cat. You know, okay, I just need that check-in. Yes, that's beautiful. So that takes me to to Nancy, your your day-to-day life. So once you step out from the hospital, can can you see life through a non-doctor perspective? Totally. You can. Totally. So you can separate totally the role from your life. Totally. So when I drive home on that route, which is the same exact route every day, there's a certain spot that I, I'm in silence. There's a certain spot where the blinker goes on. I mean, it's a ritual. There's a certain corner that I turn. Okay, that the medical center is behind me, and now my work starts. And because what I'm doing in the medical center is easy for me, it's making that corner and coming home. Oh, you know, the kids don't listen. When you, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, in the clinic, I'm in control in the operating room. I got it. I got Mm -hmm. this. I know, I know where that right angle needs to go. If it doesn't go in the right place, I'm in control. I know it, you know, at home, it doesn't go so well. You know, um, homework didn't get done. We're late for the, you know, I didn't book the flight for the game that we needed to, you know, there it, it, it doesn't. And it, and so it's, for me, it's a totally different perspective it's a whole different skill set that I'm not so good at, you know. I mean, we, we're, you know, but the, what keeps the balance for me is my husband could care less about what happened at the medical center. I mean, he respects what I do and it's a part of it, but he does not want to hear one iota about the case, the clinic, the problem. He, we've got things, and you know, he's worried about the news, the dog, what's for dinner. Have you heard about the kids? Did you hear what happened to, you know, what did you make the reservation for our plans for Saturday night with the so-and-sos? Yeah. Um, did you see this in the, you know, and we have, and so it, it for me, it's magical. I agree. And it, it only makes you more real that you share this. So thank you. And also you're going into a stage where I hear you saying my kid in college. And so I imagine you might be in intro- into an introspective phase where like, what are my next steps? What is a legacy? And I know you're very passionate about educating future generations, especially I'm familiar with Uriel. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the training and how, and the vision that you have for these great surgeons going on and about in the world to not only expand their wings, but in a very well-trained way. I love that. You're right. You're right on um, at the, you know, the juncture of life of there's nothing to prove. There's no validation. Um, There's no hurdle, you know, that I'm aspiring to um, and recognizing that um, all of those are earthly and artificial anyway. The job, the to-do list of of raising a family, of conforming to what you know you need to do through training and academia, or in the community, you know the way we need to behave with our children's school and all the events and what we need to, you know, it's liberating. It's a phase of life that it's all behind me. And so, what 
what is next? Um, and what is that, Mark, um, Lorena? It I falsely thought for a while that it was um, more power, which is a false idol. Power in your gift? N not with my patience, but in my forcing on um, my uh, delivery or beliefs on making change, on more leadership with more influence, um, needing to be something that is um, is in a position that has a label to be an influencer. And um, even if it really didn't fit what I authentically am and want to be and who I am, you know, fitting into a mold of what uh, maybe my mentors or what I thought the route should be. I hear surrendering in a beautiful way. Totally. And I think that's the only way when life truly unfolds. Totally. So uh, you, you you had a beautiful tipping point where you surrender and you say. Totally. And I will say, um, and the timing of that, some of it is um, those reminders and those nudges, as, we, as we've said earlier, when they just hit you in the face. And, and your journey is one of them that just hit me, in, you know, hit me in the face of, you know, the mud, no, no mud, no lotus. And what is it really about? And what is that? What is that joy? Um, that joy? Because I, I don't ever go to work. Um, but when I start working, that's a problem when I start w doing those things. And so recognizing what is that legacy? And it is, it's, um, it's being, it's having the gifts of all of these resources. It's being placed in a place that is, um, to whom much is given, much must be, you know, uh, must be returned, right? We tell this to our children. We empower them. We we show them that you've been given this beautiful education. You have the, this 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 environment, and you you have to go to the um, outside of the of the camp and look for the people that need what you have, and you have to make it better for them. So it's it's leaving that message and all of these resources. Where does it need to be disseminated um, at multiple levels? One is my passion for endocrine surgery. I'm, I'm just, um, I'm enamored by the hormone, and, you know, and I have been since the first day I, I saw the first adrenal operation I saw in my life. We need, we need more specialists understanding this, doing this, doing it well, um, 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 teaching others how to do it. So where do we plant? Where do we plant people that are smart and knowledgeable and have and and that are capable and have the desire? So not only do where do we plant those in the in Texas, you know, through MD Anderson, through our our healthcare system, but through the country, where, where do where do we need people who are going to lead? Not just one at a time, right? Because we all can do things one at a time, but we're talking bigger seeds you know, big trees to grow, to have a lot of roots. So where are we going to root these? So, you know, um, training programs um, and and giving them resources, showing them what it looks like, and then trying to walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, are you healthy? Um, what'd you do this weekend? Tell me about your fiance. Are you taking care of you? You know, um, are you happy? You're coming to the soccer game. Mm -hmm. We're going. You're getting out of this office. Okay, we're taking care of you now. Are we filling your mind? Are we showing you how to look at the literature, do the stats, showing you what the resources look like? Are you thinking scientifically? Do we have data that you can make sound decisions on? Can we accumulate it? What what, um, what are we doing with interpreting these analyses and these outcomes? Are you filling up and learning and taking it to a higher level? And then the skills, you know, not just the, the cognitive skills, but then the technical skills. Are we making sure, do you have access? Are you set up? Do you have resources? Do you understand what you need and what you want? 
Do you understand the difference? Um, do you understand these subtleties? Do you understand the way we set things up? Do you understand the way we work things down? Um, so how many people are you full on training right now? So full on training in our in our little cohort now, Lorena, we have a fellow who is absolutely declared, who, um, who has done all of... Um, surgery training mm -hmm. and now specializing just to do this surgery um, from New York who will end up going back to a, an, uh, has an interest to go back to a big academic center. Um, we have um, a research fellow from Mexico who is totally well-trained in general surgery and surgical endocrine who will continue to contribute and uh, reinforce his armamentarium to be able to make an impact um, wherever that is going to be. Um, we have a research fellow with us who is um, who is from New York, who is um, undertaking the cognitive part of understanding data and understanding outcomes and understanding quality and understanding national paradigms, um, all working together. Wow. We have surgical oncology fellows, um, seven of them that rotate through our service um, and take call and operate with us and understand and watch us and understand our thought process and how we work patients up and work patients down. We have residents that rotate with us um, currently from the UT system um, that rotate through UT um, in Houston. And then we also have the Methodist residents, which is another, the Cornell Methodist wheel third year residents. And we have the UTMB residents. So we have multiple levels of residents in different programs. Wow. They get to work with us. And then we have students, um, and we have the med students that come through the UT system, and then med students on request that come to work with us. And I'm always reaching out, and, and um, we have one coming to us who we just mentored, you know, from, um, we hopefully we have a couple from the Cornell system and from um, the Dartmouth system that I'm recently familiar with. Um, we had uh, three undergraduate students this summer working with us. And again, layering them so they can see what lies ahead. They can have a role model. They see what it's like, um, the next step, the next step, the next step, and just mentoring them. And so that's our current armamentarium. We've been doing this now, as you know, just um, in, in acknowledging it in this particular part of the program for, I think we're on our 14th year of training and disseminating um, at any one time. We have a fellow, we have one in Chile, we have two in, uh, one in, um, um, in Taiwan, we have one in Korea, we have a couple in China, we have one at um, Oxford, you know, that, that are planted. And then the other part of the mastery that you know that we do is the actual technical training that we do. So we take surgeons who are already in training, who are already surgeons, who are established or fully trained, but they need to be renewed. They need to be refreshed. They need to, for someone to spend time with them in a non-intimidating, non-patronizing way to show them the new technology and new things. Um, the way we do adrenal glands now, we brought that to the United States from our German colleagues in 2005, and we've never looked back, but none of the training, you know, none of the other trainees around that come through to us learn this way. So they're surgeons in training, but they just, new technology, new skill set. So we bring them on to a simulation center, and we run a course, and it's called the Masters in Surgery Program. And um, and we've done this exchange program now with um, with Mexico. Yes, yes, which makes me smile. I just 
Uriel, welcome. It's uh, an honor having you here and it's an honor having you in my life. It makes me happy that our beautiful country will receive the caliber of talent that Dr. Perrier has. When I was a patient at MD Anderson, my first encounter was with Dr. Camilo. And after leaving that appointment, my father said, and that's another great talent that goes to the United States. And there's a real concern that a lot of Latin American talent has had to go to a fertile soil where they can learn because we have become emerged in a toxic structure or system. So I'm very interested, Uriel, welcome to the podcast. And I would love if you could introduce yourself, if you could tell us what took you to make all these decisions that brought you to Dr. Perrier, because um, I think there's a reason for it. And us being here together, I mean, this is not just a coincidence. So I would like all the audience to learn a little bit about you and then how uh, Dr. Perrier and you got together and we will take it from there. Thank you so much, Lorena. Absolutely. This is not a coincidence. I think as uh, you've both been talking about uh, all the podcast, things just get together and align to uh, get to these specific and special places. Thank you for inviting us to having us with you in this special uh, space to talk and share our opinions and thoughts. So, um, yes, I was born in Mexico, in a small town in the south of Mexico. It's called Tuxtla Gutierrez. Yes. Uh, I know you're familiar with our country. And this is a small town located in a beautiful state of Mexico called Chiapas. It's a state full of nature resources, um, uh, big culture, uh, big cultural heritage. Uh, we have ancient cultures like the Mayans uh, down there. And this is a place uh, near the border with Guatemala. Mm -hmm. So I was born and raised in this uh, town. Then at the age of 18, I had to leave uh, town just to... Well, try to to get into college to me to medical school. I moved from Chiapas to Monterrey, and I spent there That's six. Good food in Monterrey. Really good food. <laughs> Amazing food. Yeah, so I spent six years of my life in Monterrey. Is that in the Monterrey Tech System, or where did you study? In in El Tecnológico in Monterrey. Muy bien. Yeah. <laughs> so after that, I spent six years of my life. Uh, in medical school in Monterrey, and then I moved to Mexico City to continue with my training. I spent eight years of my life in Mexico City. Uh, I had the opportunity to train in one of the most important academic centers in Mexico, which is called uh, Instituto Nacional de Ciencias Médicas y Nutrición, Salvador Subirán. So I, I was really fortunate to be uh, there. I, I got the opportunity to share and learn uh, from really fantastic and amazing surgeons. During my process of, of training in general surgery, I get to know uh, Dr. Miguel Herrera, who is my mentor in endocrine surgery. And after general surgery, I had the opportunity to train with him as an endocrine surgeon. How, what made you, first of all, how old are you? 
I'm 33 years old. Wow, you yeah. have such an amazing, you're only 33 and you just have an amazing knowledge in Thank your you. field. What took you to endocrine specifically? Endocrine surgery, it's a fantastic subspecialty because it combines really complex uh, pathologies and uh, you need to have big knowledge on uh, physiology, uh, as Dr. Perrier was explaining uh, before, uh, the interaction between one gland and the rest of the body and how uh, the glands are capable of controlling and having our body just like in harmony and in balance. Uh, it's, I think that's fantastic. And endocrine surgery, I think this is a really special uh, and important uh, subspecialty in surgery. Because treatment for uh, overproduction of, of uh, hormones, it's it's going to be surgery in most of the cases. So I think that's a big field. Back in the day, it was not uh, that common to have endocrine surgeons. And this is something that has been growing uh, in the past two decades, maybe. And I think we're uh, lacking of endocrine surgeons in Mexico. Uh, probably there are about 30, 35 endocrine surgeons in Mexico. In so the whole country? In the whole country, yeah. Of course, there are many uh, general surgeons Correct. or surgical oncologists who dedicate their practice to endocrine surgery. But uh, as things move forward in medicine, science, and especially in surgery, we need to uh, become more specialized in single procedures to be able to master our, our technique and our knowledge on, on endocrine surgery. So is it through Dr. Herrera that you met Dr. Perrier? That's the link. So it happens to be that Dr. Herrera and Dr. Perrier are really good friends. Dr. Herrera trained at Mayo and they trained together. How long ago we, was that, we Dr. Perrier? We trained, Miguel was a f um, trained with my mentor, who was the the great endocrine adrenal surgeon that we mentioned with the catheter and Miguel mm -hmm. had trained with him. And in the, in the system, because it's a specialty, we all become family. We all know each other. Miguel actually trained a little bit ahead of me. So he's a little bit, but we, but he was like a big brother and it was through, you know, we, uh, we, we've been friends for years through, um, through our scientific work and interpretation. Yeah. So Dr. Herrera and Dr. Perrier have, have this, um, exchange program where a fellow from uh, Houston travels to Mexico City to just get in touch and uh, get to know how things work in different countries, different places, different hospitals. And uh, I had the opportunity to, <laughs> to, meet, to meet a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Sarah Fisher, who was there in 2019. So she spent a week in, in Mexico City we became good friends. Uh, we talk about what was my perspective of the future in my career development. And she kindly suggested and invited me to uh, apply for a, a research position at MD Anderson. Talk about you being aware and open to opportunities because I can imagine the amount of people not being that's sensitive to those opportunities. So congratulations for being with Thank that so sensitivity. Much. Yeah, and, and and we were talking about this earlier with Dr. Perrier. I think it's you, you have to work for the things you want to accomplish in your life. 
apart from the work, you have to be in the right place with the right, right people, right time. So I think I, I besides my work and uh, study time, I, I, I've really been lucky to be in the right time with the right uh, people. So yeah, um, uh, so Dr. Fisher offered me to apply to this position. Actually, I was supposed to be here earlier in 2020, but then COVID happened mm -hmm. and everything uh, got delayed. So uh, I arrived Houston in, in November 2020. And yeah, I've, I've had a great time here. The plan is to uh, complement my uh, knowledge in, in endocrine surgery, getting to get involved into research, uh, uh, get involved into how clinical practice is done uh, in the in a big institution as MD Anderson, and obviously uh, try to contribute with research, uh, create knowledge about genetics or uh, endocrine uh, pathologies. That's fascinating. Do you have medical family? Were you also immersed in that culture? No, never. So, um, yeah, a brother of my grandfather uh, was was a doctor, but it was back in the day, like in 1970, 75. I, I knew him, but he was like 85 when I was Wow. 12. So, so what ignited it? Probably, uh, I, I, I have a, a couple of uh, situations in, in my family. My mother had uh, breast cancer. Uh, I had a, a, an uncle who had breast, can breast cancer. A uh, uh, cousin of mine had an osteosarcoma. So probably I've been involved in, in, in medicine and hospitals. And I, I, I consider myself being a good listener. And I think People enjoy talking to me and just uh, talking with me about their problems. So uh, I know I I don't know. Probably that's some kind of my personality that I consider to be a good fit for uh, medicine. So wow, that's fascinating. Talking about vocation, right? You have the calling, and you just know to you you take it one step at a time, and you took one step in the right direction. And right now you are with the top, top leader in endocrine surgery. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. amazing. I applaud your courage because you came from a very long way. Yeah. And I know what it takes to move to a new country, to understand um, its culture, its code of conduct. It's different. And also even how we share our love language is different. I think I observe differences in how doctors treat patients in Mexico versus how it is here. Basically, I in my mind, I'm like, if I want to be pampered, I go to Mexico. If I want to know what's happening, but without emotions, I go to the U.S. And I've been analyzing a lot. Basically, the U.S. is great at keeping you alive. Maybe in Mexico I would be dead already, <laughs> but um, with a smile, you know, like, so it's but this happy. duality, like you need to make a decision on what is that you want. And I think that if we could find that happy medium where we still have this very alive humanity, but with high objectivity and technicisms, that would be amazing. So you're, you're the next generation of doctors and 
bravo for you to doing this for Mexico, for Thank the U.S., so and for your time and knowledge that you're giving to our country. Thank you, right. Dr. Perrier. And just speaking, Uriel is so humble and so excellent um, as a person and in the detail of what he does. And, and for instance, the willingness, as you just acknowledged, to just move here, right? I mean, just to move, you know, to trust in us, to move here, to work with us, to, to arrive and, and show up. And he does, and he shows up, and he shows up in 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 such big ways. And you know, um, just to brag on him, we you know the, a few of the projects that he's doing. So one is um, he and um, one of our other fellows who we didn't mention Adi earlier. Adi is a yep. second year fellow who is in his second year of sur- of surgical endocrine training, and they are working together on looking at the entire cohort of patients who have had cortical sparing adrenalectomy and looking at the recurrences, what happens long-term. That data is just not available on knowing, on knowing big, big picture ob- objective data for patients who have familial disease. So there are some patients that have that disease based on their genetics, but understanding the importance of the genetics and how it plays in recurrence. So that's a tremendous project that they're working on for, for national, for publication and national dissemination. He's working with we had a collaborator, just a, a, an incredible human from the Netherlands with us for the last two years, setting up international databases of looking at predicting and preventing endocrine tumors. So we understand the mutations and now through blood test, so we can identify who has the gene and then through serial blood test, look for the predictors of who is who we now need to screen with imaging because we can't image everyone regularly for their whole lives but what who who is at risk and that what tumor proteins that they're making and we call it proteomics and metabolomics and looking at those serial blood collections in this um, endocrine syndrome with five large centers around the world. And Uriel has taken on, again, working for the Anderson input and all of those five centers. And the goal is this um, database, this repository of information and genetics and tumor pathology and what we learned from it will then be exportable to Mexico. That's wonderful. In whichever way we can help amplify in Mexico, please use us as a resource because Thank you so much. nothing would make me happier than Thank to you so have much. our Mexican people benefit from your knowledge. We're, we're working on, on that and you'll hear from us, uh, yeah, just to get your help and uh, because uh, I know and we know that you've been so helpful with this uh, cause. So, yeah, I, I think this project, as Dr. Perrier mentioned, is a big collaboration and and that's uh, the goal to be able to export that not only to Mexico uh, but to other countries or uh, uh, just to get more knowledge on this area. Dream big. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can count on shoulders of titans here. Thank you Dr. Perrier for your amazing time. We're very blessed to have you. I hope this is the first of many future collaborations we do. What I live by is uh, put it out to the universe and the universe will respond. So I know that one of our listeners will connect the dots to make this world a better place and we will slowly make the world 
a better experience and a more loving one. More loving. So, yes, more Lorena, loving. Lorena, you are a light. And again, as we wrap up and just to thank you for your light, the way you shine is, um, is just uh, breathtaking to us all. Um, and you are an inspiration. Again, if I didn't see it with my own eyes. Again, many of us live on faith of what we've heard and we know, um, but I have seen you change lives. I have seen what looks like un something that is unforgivable, and I have seen you authentically forgive in ways that move mountains, and all of us can learn from that. Whether we're forgiving a spouse, a colleague, we're forgiving someone who cut us off in line, or we're forgetting someone who did harm to us, Forgiveness is the answer, and you are that picture. So um, thank you for having us all dream big. Thank you. It takes two to tango, so that's what we're doing. Thank you, my friends, all our listeners, for having the time. We don't take it lightly, and thank you for following us on our way. Thanks for listening to On My Way with Lorena Hunko Magain. We'd like to invite you to send us your thoughts and any questions from this podcast by emailing Lorena at LorenaHuncoMargain.com. You can also reach out to us directly through our website by clicking the link in the show description of this podcast. Special thanks to executive producer Casey Helmick, studio engineer Joseph Olguin, audio and video editor Scott Caro. This podcast is a production of Terra Firma and recorded from the historic Arlen Studios in Austin, Texas. 